We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today joining us is JR of the JR Sport Brief. We're super excited he's here. Let's jump in and get to know JR. JR, welcome. How are you? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm cool. I hope you all are too. Absolutely. Absolutely. For our listeners who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and tell us about where you were born and raised. Uh, so I was born and raised in the, in the Bronx, New York. I am a sports broadcaster right now. It's something I've been doing for the past 10 plus years. I actually have a, a nationally syndicated show on uh, CBS Sports Radio. I broadcast on WFAN in New York City. And I started off on YouTube. I actually started off my sports broadcasting career in my childhood bedroom in the Bronx, New York. So I, I started putting myself up on YouTube and have grown that all the way to, to having a nationally syndicated show. So I've also done television work with NBA TV. I've done work with CNN. And right now, you know, CBS is, is my home. That's awesome. I want to spend a little bit more time on that because that's fantastic. And, and we'll dive into that a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and then like sort of where you grew up and tell us a little bit about, you know, how you sort of your, your identity and your culture. Yeah. So my family is big into sports. I grew up in the North Bronx in New York City and everything kind of from if anyone familiar with the Bronx, I guess you could say maybe from Gun Hill Road or Allerton all the way up into maybe Mount Vernon and Yonkers. That's that's kind of the entire area that I grew up. And between my mom and my grandmother, my grandfather, my uncles, my aunts, everybody was just huge sports fans. You know, whether it was the Yankees and Don Mattingly, whether it was the the New York Knicks in the late 80s and then into the 90s and, and tormenting folks just by watching them and then moving into the <laughs> Yankees championships and the Giants and the Jets listening and hearing about those memories. I mean, there's a there's a lot of things. My family really introduced me into sports. When I went into to elementary school, you know, even at that time, it was odd. I, I was learning about tennis. We had a tennis instructor who would come on on Friday afternoons. And my way of getting out of class for an hour when the school day was done, we would go outside. This is in uh, Eden Wall Projects is where I went to elementary school. We would go outside and play tennis. So I actually learned to play tennis and, and got out of class a little while by doing it. So, you know, my family and where I grew up was real influential as it related to, you know, me picking up sports and learning about it. You know, when the newspaper was done and read, you know, after someone went through the paper and it was sitting there on the on the kitchen table, I was the next person to pick it up and really just start thumbing through, you know, what the news was, what the box scores were at that time. You know, now you get a box score on your phone, but right. I, would, I would look up and down at box scores, et cetera, just to, to get the vibe and see what was going on. That's pretty neat. I got to ask you, you're everywhere. Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, CBS Sports Radio. I mean, there's so much happening. How did you get started down your career path and how did you move into you know, the career that you have now? Well, it's, I, I'm, a, I'm a producer by trade. Like I'm a, I'm a creative. So I went to school and, and studied marketing. I love working with other people. I love coming up 
with ideas. And that's, that's basically what I did. My uncle was a DJ in New York. And so I grew up around him and, and saw what he did and, and how he interacted with people. He actually worked the, the night shift. His name was Fat Man Scoop at Hot 97. And so, you know, I had a chance to, you know, meet other artists and musicians. So early on in, in, in what he was doing, I would help him out with some of his social media. I would help him out with bookings, uh, studio sessions, events. You know, eventually I went and did some work. I interned. My first internship was at Vibe Magazine. Mm. You know, we still had physical magazines. My job, I did everything, but we literally threw parties as a part of the, the marketing department. And so between working on the music side and learning with my uncle, going on into Vibe, working with independent musicians and, and then working on with smaller artists back in, you know, my space and, and the early parts of music on the internet is kind of where I cut my teeth. And then my uncle, he had an opportunity to do a television show on MTV. I was a producer on that show and I handled all of the online marketing. You know, I met my current partner and business manager now, whose name is Charlie Stetler. And we kind of teamed up and I said, and he encouraged me along with a guy named Fred Seibert who ran Hanna-Barbera. And this is the early part of video on the internet. And they said to me, they said, listen, you have so many things that you're interested in. And they said, we know you like sports. Instead of producing stuff for all types of people all of the time, why isn't this something that you go ahead and put your energy into? And if it works, then we will support you. So, you know, I had to go out and do the work. And that's when I started JR Sport Brief. Mm -hmm. I went out and I put a video up every day on YouTube. And a lot of the same theories that I would tell other artists, it didn't matter if they were a comedian or a musician. I built that same level of engagement, even with my own show. For a lot of people, it might have been just, hey, here's a guy on YouTube. But for me, there was a, a short term and a long term plan that I wanted to execute that I've seen and I have done successfully with other brands and other partners. And that's kind of what I did, what I started. So I took an unconventional route. You know, most sports broadcasters per se that you run into, you know, they go to Syracuse University, they study broadcasting journalism. But I had a chance and opportunity to kind of learn multiple facets of the business. Mm -hmm. So I don't see anything one way as, okay, here's, give an automatic hot take. Or this is how you set up a break. You know, I have my own thoughts of, you know, building community, interaction, building brand, building audience that you typically wouldn't get from just like, hey, I studied at a four year university. They taught me how to use a camera, you know? Yeah. Now, JR, you and I have known each other since you were recording those those YouTube videos in your in your bedroom. So Back then, when you started to record those videos, you had the vision of where you wanted to go and where you wanted to get to even up until today. You had that vision already sort of mapped out in your in your head? Very much so. It's just a matter of, of timing. You mm -hmm. know, that's it. Like, there are people, and I, I, I tell people this all the time, because there's a good amount of my day where people ask me for advice, and I love, I love giving it, whether it's coming in via email or, or it's a friend that I've known for years or someone else who's, who's just starting out. You know, I didn't do what I did for hobby. I did it because I saw a potential in the business. I saw where the business was going, you know, even for when I started on YouTube, like let's, for instance, 
teams didn't have social media accounts, right? Like the New York Yankees were the Yankees. And unless you were the New York Times or ESPN or the Daily News, that was the level of, of interaction. It wasn't the Yankees tweeting out a story. There was no player, you know, putting anything on Instagram. Instagram did not exist. Right. Uh, Facebook is not in the space that it is now. Teams right. were just starting to get pages. It was no longer just a personal situation. And so when I started out, I saw green grass for myself. I looked at the sports landscape and I said, okay, granted, and this is everything has an advantage, disadvantage. But for me, the advantages outweigh everything. I said, I am the youngest person here in this space, even online. I said, I also have a, a lot of experience for my youth. I said, there aren't a lot of African-Americans, even age-wise, who are in that space. Even right now, 10 years later, I am still generally one of the youngest folks that you will listen to or see on radio or on TV. I'm also African-American. And so I have a, a different perspective. I also come from traditional media, but I also started everything that I've done digitally. And so it was a full-blown plan and thought process just to, to start and do what I'm doing now. Because of your age and your skin color, quite frankly, right? Do you think you've run into roadblocks or had to navigate the industry that you're in a little bit differently? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, you know that, that, that goes without saying for anybody in any walk of life. Right. You know, entertainment is no different. I have this and I hope I don't have to. I probably leave it there pinned for a long time. You know, on the, the front of my, my Twitter is a pinned tweet that says, in the entire country, 50 states, you know, we can think about there are probably three or four major sports stations that syndicate. And I am the only show that is solo by an African-American host in the whole country. Hmm. That's just facts for what it is. You yeah. can look at where I broadcast on CBS. You can look at, at ESPN. You can go ahead. You can look at Fox. A lot of the shows are pairings. You know, prior to me, it was Stephen A. Smith, mm -hmm. but no longer has the radio now. And so everybody else is paired up. So that tells you kind of where things are. And so, yeah, they, they are gives and takes. I know for a good majority of, of what I've done, you go into a room and people just go, OK, this is what's here on social media. But how is that applicable to, you know, the system that we have now? So it's twofold. There's the education and the change of how digital is important to everybody's business. Right. You know, things and I'm, I'm no I'm no messiah here, but there's no reason. And it, it comes with big any big business. Big businesses are slow to adapt or they go out of business. Just yeah. that's, that's flat. And so even from my area and in, in radio, for me, it was natural to say, you know, hey, 10 years ago, this is something worth investing in if you want to be ahead. Yeah. That wasn't the case. So in regards to who I am, my age, my ethnicity, the digital side, yeah, there were roadblocks and there were points and spaces of education. But all of those things have also propelled me to go further. Right, right, right. Do you think that technology today plays a role in leveling the playing field a little bit more? Because just think about your path, right? You didn't need money to start right? You needed a video camera, a YouTube account, and some content to talk about and, and to get going. And I feel with whether it's YouTube or you know Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, whatever, I feel like technology 
levels the playing field a little bit, maybe levels the barrier of entry on one side, but then also maybe creates more competition on the other side because everyone can do it as well now. So curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, it is. You know, I tell you, it depends on what you want to do because the cream rises to the top. Right. You know, the cream always. Right. That's my belief. The cream rises to the top. It depends on what you want to do. I mean, I can go ahead and point out folks that are online who, you know, in, in a traditional space, their only goal, because that was the medium you go on radio, you do TV or you are a writer. That means you, it's going into a magazine. Maybe it's going into a newspaper. Those were your three mediums. That's right. not the case anymore. You can be a broadcast talent. And you could work strictly digitally for Bleach Report. You can work for, you know, whatever iteration exists of of Sports Illustrated. So there are are different spaces. There are more jobs. You know, I think as anything, it gets siphoned down when you want to look at the the talent totem pole. But yeah, I think it's a great thing that there are more opportunities for people, that there isn't necessarily a barrier to entry. And if you are good, if you understand what you're doing, you will be seen, you'll be found. You know, I think it's easy for people to get discouraged when you think about, you know, how many people are out there. Yeah, Just think about it from uh, how many people nowadays can lay claim to say, I'm a musician or I'm a model or I'm a beauty this or anybody can do that because you can start up an account. How many people legitimately make it into viable businesses? And I think sports media is is the same way. It depends on what you want to do. But if you are good at what you think you are, then you can certainly have some success. I think it's good for folks. They are a question about a recent loss in the sports world, a juggernaut, a great in Hank Aaron. And I know recently you, you posted a tweet about advice and thoughts for whatever you do in life. You had an opportunity to to sort of share your thoughts. And I wanted to ask you, how did that impact you? You know, thinking about sort of the impact he had on the industry and so many, or not the industry, but just in the sports world and so many others. How how did that impact you? You know, you can call it being jaded or whatever the case may be. And just in a general sense, I'm not all that excitable of a guy. Like, I'm not going to get too high or low about meeting or seeing anybody. You know, there's three people that I can remember, maybe four, that I've, I've met in the space of me doing this that I'm just was literally excited about. You know, my first big interview was with Manny Pacquiao. And this was, I think, before he was going to fight Sugar Shane Mosley. And so I actually flew out to Los Angeles. Mm. And I knew if I secured this with Manny Pacquiao, you know, I now have a test case I'm creating legitimacy for myself and what I do. I know I can go get additional interviews. So Manny Pacquiao was my first big interview. I had met Kobe Bryant and he was just real gracious and chill. And he sounded like everything that you hear. Like he's very determined and driven and, you know, thoughts and advice he gave me followed those same lines. I met Pele during the Olympics in London. And two years ago, as you mentioned, I met Hank Aaron. And that was just, that was cool as hell. Because the reality is you meet a lot of folks and he was 80, he died at 86 uh, last week. Uh, He was 84 when I met him. Most 84 year olds, you don't have to play baseball for your life. There's a lot of 84 years old, you know, 
you get wheeled around in a wheelchair during lunchtime, you're probably not in the most thrilling of moods. But he's an icon. He's an icon in regards to baseball. He's an icon as a human being. And I love seeing how he interacted. So the luncheon was actually for an invitational that the Braves put together. And these are just young African-American ballplayers. And he came into the room, smiles, waving. He was generous with his time. He enjoyed it. And you, I can look at pictures historically. It doesn't matter if he was at an all-star game. It doesn't matter if he was, you know, at an event. Like you, you're not going to find too many things where, where he's just like, he's down in the dumps and he had a lot of reasons to be. And I think personally, he has admitted, you know, he had the fight and battle, uh, especially during a a good part of his career where he felt like he couldn't even go outside because legitimately folks might kill him, but he never let that stop him. He never let any adversity slow him down from what his job was and how he wanted to treat people in return. And that's something that I I really appreciate. And I'm glad even to be around him for an hour's time. I'm glad that that was the case. I'm glad I had a chance to speak with him. That's awesome. It's amazing how those moments can really sort of touch you, you know, and and they could be a, a long period of time or a short period of time. And earlier you mentioned having family, sort of being in the business and also you really Uh, getting involved, right? Being hands-on and working across a number of different things. Who are some other folks in your career or in life that have sort of helped you out along the way or or have just been a great presence to be around? There's a long list and many folks, you know, it's not no no BS by me. It's folks like Corral who tuned in early on and I, I can still talk to him now. He's readily available. Like for me, there are people in the industry. My partner, Charlie Stetler, is, is my business partner and kind of what we're doing and, and expanding out. Because for me, I can talk until I'm, I'm blue in the face, but it's also providing the opportunities to other folks as well. And so whether it's Charlie or Fred Seibert, who, who told me to start, you know, whether it is a uh, Frank Golding, who used to run YouTube sports, or the list goes on and on about it doesn't matter if it's publicists or producers. You know, I have a, a, a program directors who I've, I've worked with, Mark Chernoff at WFAN, Reggie Rouse in, in Atlanta, Georgia. But more importantly, the people who help me out are the, the people who watch. That's no BS. That's real. You know, you get a lot of people who take the people take people for granted. It's just like this is a metric. This is a person. This is what pays the bills. But people forget the depths of like, yo, those are real folks. And that's something that I never forget or take for granted. I would venture to tell you, even at from my show on CBS, I would tell you I probably have the most engaging sports radio show in the whole country. Like I am soliciting calls. I'm talking to folks on Twitter. You got radio folks who are scared to get on the phone. You have program directors who think callers destroy your show. And yeah, if you suck, if your talent sucks, if you're stuck in the the twilight zone or an old age, you know, you may take that thought process. But I recognize people because it was one person and then another person and then another and another who helped put me at where I'm at right now. So I have a a thought there. So it's everybody. Sorry for the long ass answer. ah, It's everybody. That's awesome. 
Jr., where are you drawing inspiration from these days? You know, you shared some 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 earlier thoughts earlier in your career. Where are you drawing inspiration from today? Oh man, it's it's just to keep going and see where it can go. That's it. You know, at the end of the day, like everybody else, I, I live to to make a living and take care of myself and my family. And as long as I can go and do that, that's goal A number one. That's taken care of. But you know, that's that's the inspiration. It's just you know, get up, try to do better, and share that with other people to hopefully make their life a little bit easier. That's it. You mentioned uh, Pacquiao being your first interview. I'm wondering if out of all the interviews that you've done over the years, all the famous people you've met, is there one that stands out? Is there a favorite for you? <sighs> I guess maybe between Kobe and Pele, mm. somewhere between it. Because to meet Pele at the Olympics, so Google actually hit me up to interview Pele for a live stream they were doing in London. And Pele treated me like his grandson. It was just wow, like, was just, cool. I was just like, I was hanging out with my grandpa for like an hour. And I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like oh, yo, this is pretty cool. Right. And then, um, you know, Kobe and I don't know, maybe it's due time, but uh, you hear certain things about people. Yeah. And I guess the word for Kobe is uh, intense. There's a, a quiet intensity. And you see he got to where he is because of that intensity. And even in, in, in moments of kindness, like the thought process of, of going and doing better or competing or being goal oriented, it didn't come across to me in my, my interaction with him as something that left his psyche. He was complimentary of me and, and what I had accomplished and was just like, oh, yo, that's, that's dope. Just, yo, keep it going. And it's something simple as that. So it's somewhere between Pele and, and also Kobe. Awesome. Awesome. What advice would you have right now for, you know, that kid out there that's listening, that's thinking about starting a YouTube channel? Oh, and I think this is, you can apply this to, to anything, mm. you know, have a plan. Like it's so easy now, because like you said, it takes you two minutes to create an account online then boom, there it is. You know, phone cameras are automatically built into laptops. You can go at a minute's notice right now, but have a plan, be committed to it. Yeah, I tell anybody starting anything, you know, have a plan, lay it out because everything for me boils down to programming. Mm -hmm. You can start a YouTube channel. What is your three month plan for it? Are you going to consistently post content? If your plan is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, commit to it, do it, you know, see what's working, see what's not working. You can't say, oh, well, I did this for three weeks or nobody's watching. You don't know. You don't got the legs or the traction. And so people are just so quick to to do something, jump into it without the thought of how can I legitimately do this and or actually plan out. So for me, it's all planning. It's programming. I couldn't be on the radio station. The radio station couldn't exist if we just said, hey, tune in. And, you know, whoever the hell we have is who we'll have on air. It doesn't you have to program the audience. And even from that, you have to program yourself. And so. Yeah. It's just planning, planning, planning. People want to enjoy the process. People want the results of the process, but people aren't always prepared or people don't always want to do the work to get there. Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm sure you're going to talk about this on, on your own show, but I have to ask you, who's winning the Super Bowl? Oh, man, it's tough. <laughs> I'm, I'm, still, I'm still wavering. I thought I had about a week and change to figure out which direction I was going to go in. I don't know. 
you know, these are two teams that just air a football out and you got a young dude and Pat Mahomes. I know both of his offensive linemen on the, the, the ends are hurt. You know, if one thing we, we know and see is that Tampa sends guys right at the quarterback, but we've also seen Pat Mahomes, you know, make and create magic. We've seen it over and over again with Tom Brady. So I have no idea. I'm going to go ahead and say the Bucks. I hope the young guy can knock off the old guy. And this is the story that we have for about a week and a half or two weeks before we get the game. So it should be a good game. I think it's going to be close. This thing is going to be close. It's going to be good. Yeah, I, I hear you. I'm, I'm rooting for the young guy, but it's it's hard to bet against Brady. I mean, yeah. he just <laughs> he proves you wrong every time you try to bet against him. So yeah, he's he's still rolling. He still has some more time. So if he adds a seventh, I'm like, goodness gracious, here he is again. What you gonna <laughs> do? You gotta you gotta respect it. You gotta respect it. You gotta respect it. All right, fun question. I love asking everyone that's on the podcast, which is. Give me the top three apps on your phone that you use, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Top three apps that I use on my phone? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I no, you said no email, no, no text. No email, no text. Yeah, no email and no text. Okay. So it's probably, probably Twitter. Yeah. It's probably Twitter, probably the New York Times, probably Instagram. Okay. And then in there, it's Facebook. Those are probably the top just to get messaging out for work. You know, it's the, the social media and then the information. And if you want to throw Chrome or Safari in there, just to, <laughs> you know, that's 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 it right there. That's right. There you go. There's no games. There's no games. There's, there's mainly just getting messages out and reading. Gotcha. That's it. Mm. Gotcha. JR, thanks for hanging with us and thanks for sharing a little bit about yourself. Uh, I think it's been awesome. And a lot of our listeners like to follow and stay in touch. So what are all the different ways they can follow you? Oh, well, all of those social media platforms, whatever anybody's favorite is consistent across the board. I'm at JR Sport Brief. And that's uh, JR Sport Brief with one S. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Clubhouse, which I haven't you know, I have one. I'm not active in there. So JR Sport Brief everywhere. That's my email address as well. JR Sport Brief at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone for listening to another episode. And if you can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video, just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again, JR. Not a problem. <laughs>